I got to sit and watch J uh, Pastor Jared and Pastor Tellus preach the same message, and it just got me fired up to preach this message to you guys today. So I am ready and full of faith, so um, I hope you can come along with me. Uh, the theme today is next generation, and we believe God is the God of every generation. And it's not just words that we speak, it's a truth that we live out, and we've seen it in this house. And it's not just a vision that Pastor Brett has. Pastor Jim has walked with me for years. Pastor Duke and Kathy did my, uh, my premarital prep. Pastor Sean and Danelle walked with Michelle and I as we became leaders in this house. All of them with the vision that they're a part of something bigger and greater than themselves. They're building for the generation beyond them so that the generation beyond them can build for what's beyond them and on and on and on. And so I'm so grateful and thankful for all of you who have sowed into us. Um, God is the God of every generation. And as I've thought about that, I just looked back through the Bible to see this truth play out, right? From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob into the tribe of Judah, one of his sons, but also his son Joseph. You see the amazing work that Joseph did as he brought the Israelites into Egypt, right? To feed them in the famine. Later we see Moses, an Israelite, lead the people back out of Egypt once they turn them into slaves. And we see Moses lead them in the desert and he passes it on to Joshua, right? And then we see later Ruth, when there's few left, Ruth marries a man named Boaz. They have Obed, who has Jesse, who has a son, the least of which is named David, who stood out in a field and was overlooked by his brothers. And you follow David's lineage down to a young girl named Mary who was visited by an angel and said, you're going to conceive a child. And his name shall be Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. And Jesus accomplishes the amazing work that he does on the cross. He builds his ministry. He does miracle signs and wonders to prove his divine nature. And he passes it on after his ascension to his disciples. He says, go into all nations, baptize in my name, make disciples, those disciples go, and the apostle Paul joins in their ranks, and on his missionary journeys, uh, he plants churches, and he passes it on to Timothy and others, and on and on and on and on through every generation until one day on Indiana University campus, they saw a short brother walking by, and he said, hey, are you a Christian? <laughs> and, 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 and Brett Fuller was led to the Lord. Hallelujah. Sorry. And somewhere in there, you were led to the Lord. Somebody walked with you. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a youth pastor, a friend, your pastor from where you, you grew up. Somebody along the way passed this thing on to you. And so the question for you today is, who are you going to pass it on to? Who are you going to pass it on to? Because as I look back through these moments in the Bible, they're not just disparate stories. We cannot approach the Bible like, oh, there was this guy Noah. He did this really cool thing with a boat. He got all these people on the boat. It was neat. And over here, this was this guy Peter, and he did this cool thing where he got off a boat, and he walked on the water. And that was also cool, but they're not really related. No, no, no. The Bible is not moments of God in time. It is the movement of God through time. It doesn't just start with Abraham and end with him. It started there, and it continues on every day, every day to where we are today until we will see the wedding feast of the Lamb when you and I will be fully reconciled in spirit and in body with the Father because the work that Christ did on the cross was not for that period of time. It is for all time. 
all races, all creeds, all nations, all nationalities, all ages. Can I get an amen on the work of our God? He's so much bigger than we can understand. He's so much bigger. And I love that I get to have any part in that, in doing the work that God has called us to. He's the God of every generation. He's the God who cares about the next generation. And if the next generation matters to God, then the next generation matters to us. We're going to look at a story uh, in Luke, Luke chapter 19. This is Jesus' triumphal entry. And I want our perspective to be framed by the idea that the next generation matters to God, and so it matters to us. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time. It's ahead of the Passover feast, and he knows he's not going to make it through this one. He knows that he's going in for the final time. He's going in to be falsely accused, to be captured, to be beaten, to be tortured, to be hung up on a cross, mocked until he was dead. And then he would raise again. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but the way that he enters is significant, and it's symbolic. And it's worth taking a moment to look at. Turn, to me, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 19, verse 28. This is the first act of Jesus' final act. He's entering Jerusalem to establish a new covenant. And he's going to show us uh, who and what can be used for the kingdom. And he's going to change our perspective on it. This is Luke 19, 28 through 35. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he has told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said, why are you untying that colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just invite your spirit into this moment that we could hear freshly from you, that you would open our eyes, lift our eyes up above what is before us to see you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. So I mentioned Christ is making his final entry into Jerusalem, and I said that he's coming in on a colt on which no one has ever yet ridden. And I said that that was symbolic, and there's a couple reasons it's symbolic. He's sending a number of messages here. The first of this, and the most important, and I don't want to lose this, is that he is fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9 says this. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus knows he's fulfilling the prophecy of that time that the righteous ruler, the future king of Israel, was going to come into Jerusalem one day on the colt of a donkey. So he knows that. So he's fulfilling that. He's coming in to say, I'm not coming to conquer, but I'm coming to establish peace. I'm coming to subvert every expectation you have about what this king will look like, what the future looks like here. But he's also uh, sending a message in that he chooses a cult on which no one has ever yet written to send us a message about who and what can be used. 
We're talking about next generation, the unused, untested, unproven things in our life. And I'll just be honest, this makes me think a lot about myself. I've had the privilege to walk um, with some amazing youth pastors, mentors, leaders in my life who gave me a chance when I never deserved a chance, who stood by me when I proved them uh, right in my inability to do things. Uh, my youth pastors from back in the day, Kevin and Nikki Brungard, Anthony and Candy Cavaritas, they let me as a high schooler lead small group, prepare lesson plans for midweek small group with other high schoolers. How many know that's risky? That's risky to let me or any other teen open up their word and try to write a lesson about it. But they sat there and they let me lead it. And I'm not joking when I tell you I wrote out every thought and I looked at it and I said, and, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he, I just read it, I didn't know what to do. And then there was feedback and it was like, hey, maybe, you know, as we're doing this, it's small groups. So should we really be more discussion? So maybe we don't read our thoughts. Maybe we just like ask some questions and oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I was, I was faithful to learn, right? I just needed someone who would believe in me. But they sowed this vision deep down in me. So when Pastor Brett and Pastor Jim said, hey, would you come on and be the pastor of small groups? Man, I already had the vision. I didn't have to go find it. I knew what God-centered, Christ-centered community could do to a believer. I knew the leadership development that happens in small groups, the faith that happens, the family that's built together, because I had people who believed in me and gave me a chance when I didn't deserve one and let me teach the week after the week, week after week. Man, they gave me that shot. So, so I want to ask the question today, how do we build in the next generation? And we're going to look at this story. We're going to look at the first thing that Jesus tells his disciples to do. He says, go into the village in front of you. For us, we got to catch this crystal clear. we got to go into the village in front of us. Go into the land before us. We have to go beyond ourselves because what God is calling us into is ahead of us, not behind us. We can't stay where we're at. we got to go. we got to get up out of our chairs. we got to shake off the rust. We've been in this rhythm of coming and receiving, coming and receiving, coming and receiving, coming and receiving, and we got to get out of that, and we got to go. Just go, he says, go into the village that is before you. For some of you, that's a new thing. You're going to have to go into kid builders. You're going to have to go into a classroom with some little kids and figure out how to mentor them and raise them. You're going to have to go back to church on Sunday nights to serve with Lyft in the teens. You're going to have to go into a small group and open up your heart with somebody else. But you got to go, Jesus says. We can't stay here. we got to go there. And that can be scary a little bit, for sure. Going into a new place, going into a new thing, trying something else that we haven't done before. But when we go into what is ahead of us, we will find what we've never found and we will use what we've never used before. When we go into what is ahead of us, we will find what we've never found and we will use what we've never used before, he says to the disciples, go into the village in front of you, where on entering, you will find a colt on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. 
The cult here is important. I told you it fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah. We know it's a young donkey if you look at the uh, other versions in Matthew 21 and Mark 11 of this story. Um, and it's symbolic, but I mean, let's be honest. Donkeys are donkeys. They're beasts of burdens. They're stubborn. There's a whole lot in there. But I think this specific cult can teach us three things. Three things about sowing into the next generation. And um, I couldn't think of a better way to phrase the first one. And it sounds a little bit like a southern, uh, southern preacher, so I'm going I'm, I'm to give it to you like a southern preacher because I feel like I should do justice to the word that God, <laughs> that God, I don't know if God gave it to me, but I gave it to me, and I think it's pretty great. The cult was found, but he was bound, okay? <laughs> he was found, but he was bound, okay? He was where he was supposed to be, but he was tied up, Okay? <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. That fulfilled a dream of mine to like really, really just get the word to, to get the word to you guys. <laughs> the cult was where it was supposed to be, but it was tied up. All of us, all of us, and especially our youth are tied up to some things in our life. We're wrestling with some things that have got us bound and we've got to first untie them, get untied from them. Uh, my wife and I lead the marriage ministry here at Grace Covenant. We have an amazing team that does amazing work with marriages. But it wasn't always that way. We didn't always used to lead. Um, and I remember a couple of years ago, uh, Pastor Sean and Pastor Donnell called us up, and, um, and they made us a proposition. They asked if Michelle and I would like to lead alongside them as they prepared us to take over the ministry, which is an amazing amazing uh, opportunity. It's amazing blessing to be considered in that. And it was one that I immediately said no to. <laughs> I don't know if I said it to them, but I certainly looked at Michelle and was like, uh-uh, we can't do it. Don't got time for that. Don't have energy for that. What do we know about it? I can't do that. No way. Parkins was just patient with us. They prayed. They trusted God. God did the work that he could do. But how many of you know, I was, I was bound up in some stubbornness. I was bound up in some pride, and if I'm really honest, I was bound up in some fear. What's a 29-year-old what's a got to tell people about marriage? Who's going to listen to me and Michelle about marriage? But God did a work in us over the next couple months there, and he really revealed to us that wisdom has no age that the foundation that Michelle and I received from our mentors, from the Perkins, from the Bendixes, from our parents is something most people don't have. And it's our obligation and duty to pay that forward any chance that we get. So when we stepped into that and we called him back and said, yes, how many of you know I have, my heart was fully and completely sold on the importance of marriages, of, with a desire to edify, restore, and build up marriages? Because we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that healthy marriages produce healthy families, and healthy families are going to help us change the world. Because if we have families, go ahead. I'm like Jared, I'm messing up the clap this morning, man. I'm just, like, I'm just so excited to preach this, man. But we were bound up. I was bound up. My wife knew immediately we should do it, so I won't drag her into this. But I was bound up. I had to get untied from it. A lot of us have not fulfilled our purposes because we're tied up and we won't get free. We won't let it happen. We're not willing to happen. Or maybe we just don't acknowledge that I've been fighting with one hand behind my back all this time 
I just got used to it. And so this is just my battle, Pastor. This is my struggle. You just don't worry about it. This is what I have to deal with. God can't help me, and he's not going to. But what could you do if you got unbound and untied? What could you do? Listen, the reason that we have a class called Life of Freedom that we require for our members of this church to go through is because we know that you cannot step into your full purpose and your full calling and your full understanding of God if you're still bound. If you're still tied up and chained to the fence, how could you see what God's got for you ahead of you? So we want to help set you free from that. we got to untie the colt. He was found but bound. The second thing about this cult is that he was needed, but he was not known. He was needed, but he was not known. The disciples were not clued in to Jesus' plan. They're going to Jerusalem. They're on their way. They get to uh, Mount Olivet, and he says, all right, you two, go down there, go into the village, find this cult, and bring it back to me. And they just are trusting that there's a cult there, and they're thinking, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna steal a cult. Yo, we're going to steal a colt. Can, can he tell us to do that? Like a Ten Commandment is do not steal. Did he just tell us? To, and he says what? If they ask, just tell them the Lord has need of it. <laughs> Jesus saw what the disciples could not see. In his divinity, he knew what was there, something that he needed. It wasn't known to the disciples. They weren't aware of it, but he knew. Our charge, church, is to see with God's eyes that which only he can see. In the next generation, in that which is coming up behind us, in our legacies, is to see with God's eyes. Who knows what child in KB right now is a future small group leader at this church? Who knows which one of these teens singing up here is a future pastor or church planner? Who knows which of them God needs to fulfill a purpose beyond ourselves? We just need to see them the way that God sees them, a child of God, a son and a daughter, gifted, anointed, called, planted, and placed. Woo! I can't. That's, a, that, that's one time only. If we get caught looking at the next generation with this life, but they're so young and unkempt and they don't trim their beards and they got all these holes in their jeans and they don't listen, we don't see them as the world sees them. We see them as God sees them. They've got calling on their life. They've got purpose that only they can fulfill. And it's our charge to raise them up into men and women of faith that will change this world and help us win this city. They're needed, but they're not known. Let us not be closed off to anybody, anybody older than us, younger than us, different, different shade of skin than us, different culture than us. They pray a little bit more weird than I do, so I don't really associate with them. They worship really loud or they don't worship expressive enough. I don't know what it is, church, but let us be a place where we embrace all of God's people and we see them with heavenly eyes as God the Father sees them, my son and my daughter, because he needs them. And look, I get it. It can be scary. Opening yourself up to people that are not like you. Tell us, I'll tell you. Letting teens into your house, it can be scary. It can be scary. And I like to be safe, all right? I'm not, I'm not trying to act like I'm something I'm not. I like to be safe. I've got a ring doorbell on my front door. I use my deadbolts. I do not go camping in the woods, and I don't mess around with spiders. I like to be safe. I'm not a fool. 
but my, but my God called me to go. Go into the village that's in front of me. Find the thing that you need, but maybe you don't know what it is, know what it looks like yet. I mean, think of the disciples. They go, they find the colt. The guy asks, well, why are you untying my colt? They say, the Lord has need of it. He lets him take it. And then they begin to walk back with this colt. And maybe it's then that it sinks in. Maybe as that colt is being stubborn, as they're dragging it, pulling it. Maybe it's then that it sinks into them. Hey, no one's ever ridden this thing, and we're about to put our Messiah on it? I don't know about y'all, but in my biology class, I learned horses need to be broken to be ridden. You can't just get on a wild horse and it all works out great, like in the movies or something like that, bareback ride and everything's great going down the beach. No, 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 this is a wild animal. This is a child, a young donkey. It's not been trained. And you know donkeys are stubborn, so they're thinking, man, this is going to be this big dramatic moment. We lift, we lift Jesus up, and the cult just like, mm-mm. <laughs> not today, disciples. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> No one had ever even ridden on this thing. No one had even sat on this thing. This thing had never carried any weight. It had never proven itself to anybody. But the Lord has a need of it. So the third thing about this donkey is it's available, but it's unbroken. So what do we do with a thing that's available, the teen, the youth, the kid, the kid on campus, our family member, our child, our nephew, whoever it is? What do we do with a thing that's available but unbroken? Well, look at Jesus' words. Let me tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, go get that colt, whip it into shape, beat it, break it down, punish it, nag it to death, hurt it, right, then drag it over to me. What does he say? What does Jesus say in this moment? Go find the colt that is unbroken and what? Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Our charge, church, is not to fix the next generation. It's not to come up with the best strategy for the next generation. It's not to beat them into submission. Our charge is to bring them to Jesus, to put them at the feet of the altar and lay them before our God and say, God, I submit them to you. Only you can make right this child. Only you can build for the generations, God. I can't do it, but I lay it at your feet. That is what we're called to do. Bring it to me, he says. When we untie it, we walk with it back to the cross, back to the Savior. And if anyone asks you, he says, if anyone asks you, the last instruction he says is, you shall say this, that the Lord has need of it. You know, God has a need of the next generation. And I know what maybe some of you are thinking, well, pastor, God doesn't need any of us. He doesn't need me. You know, he can do it all on his own, and you are correct. Theologically, you are correct. God in his omnipotence does not need any of us. But are you grateful that he has chosen to have need of you? He has chosen to call you. He has chosen to gift you. He has chosen to plant you in a place where you can sow and you can serve and you can build for something beyond yourself. He doesn't need us, but he's chosen to have a need of you. He has chosen to need the next generation and every generation that will come after that. All we got to do, 
All we got to do is be ready with the response when the devil comes against us, when our family members come against us, when doubt creeps in. We just got to be ready with the response. The Lord has need of it. Will you say that the Lord has need of it? Why are you untying that colt? The Lord has need of it. Why are you letting three pastors preach on a Sunday? You're too good. You don't need to let them do it. The Lord has need of it. Why are you walking with that youth every Wednesday night, man? That's crazy. The Lord has need of it. Why are you serving three services on a Sunday? Because the Lord has need of it. Why are you going there, man? You're not good enough or smart enough. Man, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. The devil wants nothing more than to keep you tied up, locked up in your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, in your apathy, in your place of comfort, because there you're no threat. But our God is trusting you to carry a holy weight. And you got to be ready to answer that feeling of, I'm there, with the Lord has need of it. The Lord has a need of you. He has chosen to. He wants to. He has placed you here for a reason. The Lord has need of you. Whether you're young and you're waiting for someone to believe in you, or you're old and you realize maybe it's past my time to have sown, it's never too late. It's never too late. The next generation does not ignore the generation before. It thanks the generation before. Because the final instruction well, the final line of this passage, it says, they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Can you be the covering for those who will carry the gospel message? And if you're a young person in this place, can you trust in the covering that's been provided to you? Because the disciples honored Jesus by covering the colt. They did what he said. They went into the village. They found it. They untied it. They led it back to the Lord. And then to honor him, they covered it with their colts before they set Jesus on it. Church, we need you to cover the next generation so that they can properly carry the gospel message of Jesus into places that you could never take it. God is doing a new thing. He is doing a new thing that does not forego what was. My God is not just the God who was. He's the God who was and is and is to come. He's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the God who goes before me and behind me. He sees from the beginning from the end. He sees the end from the beginning. He can do it all. Be the covering. Michelle and I are here at Grace Covenant because of the seeds sown in us, in our youth groups when we were in high school. The leaders who believed in us. The ones who gave us a chance, who sowed vision into our souls. And as soon as we came to Grace, we knew we wanna get into 180 or lift. And we wanna do what was done for us to somebody else. Can I tell you when Pastor Tellus got up here second service? Pastor Tellus was in my discipleship group that I led when he was in high school. And he preached a message that was 10 times better than the one I just gave you. That's a feeling you can't, you can't make that up. You cannot make that up. Only God can do something like that. 
We are here because of those who went before us, who believed in us, who gave us a chance, and we are dead set obligated and want to pay it forward. Find your spot, whether that's in Kid Builders and Lyft, on the campus, in a small group, men's, women's marriage. Find your spot. Sow into something bigger than yourself. Find the people that you need to help get untied, those who will carry the gospel message of Christ into places that you could never carry it. That is our mission. That is our calling because the Lord has need of it.